Welcome to my Dog Ate My Book Report, a podcast where two weirdo 30-somethings take turns introducing each other to a formative book from childhood the other has never read. I am Ren, I go by neutral they pronouns, and my favorite Halloween costume I've ever worn was probably when I went to a theoretically haunted battleship as a uh, generic Vulcan command officer. I didn't bother like giving myself a name or anything, but I had on elf ears and very severe hair and a uniform, and everyone wanted to know why I was an elf. And it was very disappointing, but I felt very cool. <laughs> oh, no. I did have a Star Trek costume one year, but it probably wasn't my favorite. I've seen that picture. Yeah. Yeah, my mom made it. I think I was just like generic um, TNG command officer. I guess mine is probably, I went as Link one year. Oh my gosh. Are there photos? I mean, probably. My mom made that costume also. I'm gonna message her like immediate. I I was trying to think about like what what the last Halloween was that I dressed up as anything, and it probably was like my fourth grade year or something at latest. I don't think I've ever really. I don't think I've ever really dressed up for Halloween as as anything but like a preteen. Yeah, the costume I'm talking about was like five years ago. Yeah, you know... I've never stopped doing Halloween. <laughs> there have been lots of years, like in in primary school, at a certain point, like middle school, high school, I was like too cool for Halloween, right? And, or I was at least too cool for trick-or-treating, and the only other time at that point that you would put on a costume for Halloween is if you were going to a party, and I don't like parties, so it just didn't happen. And then by college, and then like throughout my adult life especially when i've been at like a nerdier workplace like at a game company i flirted with the idea of doing costumes because like coworkers and stuff do and it's accepted and everything and then i just tend to always think about it and then not act on it and then like a week before halloween i'm i'm like oh no i had that idea but it is like there's no way i can execute it in time maybe next year and that's just what i do every year <laughs> well that's why you go to things like Haunted battleships or something instead of parties. Haunted houses. Sadly. Haunted forests. I, I've only ever been in landlocked places on Halloween, I think. I, I, I think one year while I was at Fantasy Flight, I believe I asserted that I was there as myself from, like, a timeline where Betamax beat VHS or something like that. I just hadn't done anything. <laughs> and so I just came up with a reason <laughs> at my normal clothes. I might have imagined. I might have only thought about doing it. And, and my memory has turned that into believing I actually did it.
Well, if you've read the episode title, you probably have a, a vague understanding of why we're talking about Halloween. But I brought the subject up because Halloween is the setting for today's book, which is a me pick. And we have read The Haunted Mask by R.L. Stein, which is the 11th book in the Goosebumps series. The Haunted Mask was first published in September of 1993. It is a brief 120-pager with a rather big font about Carly Beth, an 11-year-old girl in somewhere suburbia. Suburbia? An 11-year-old girl somewhere in suburbia who is tired of being teased for being easily scared. She longs to take revenge on her friends, and I wrote that in scare quotes because it really doesn't seem like they're particularly friendly, but calls them her friends, so whatever. Uh, by finally scaring them on Halloween with a very spooky costume. After engaging in some strong-arming of a poor Halloween store shopkeep slash mad scientist, we'll get to that later, into staying open later than he really wanted to, my former retail worker self was perhaps most scared by this prospect. Uh, she manages to secure a creepy green mask with fangs off of him by sneaking off into the clearly marked staff-only section of the shop, and it's a whole big awkward thing. Uh, and what follows is a rather quick descent into the mask taking over her mind and being impossible to remove. Also, she steals her mother's art, tries to strangle her friend, and otherwise becomes a bully and candy thief to some smaller children the moment she gets any amount of power. Somehow she's the protagonist. Spoiler alert, everything is fine for a hot second and then, in Goosebumps fashion, is uh, terrible at the very end. With a nebulous ending of horror. Bum, bum, bum. There are clearly some content warnings for this book since it's a horror book. Ooh, I got, I got this. Okay. I got this. Content warning. Listener beware. You're in for a scare. <laughs> I see you also went and listened to the theme song. No, I just remember it. Oh. Uh, content warning. Uh, horror. Body horror. Creepy masks, I suppose, are probably a content thing for some folks. And, like, possession. Mind control, sort of. Yeah. And bullying. I think I think there's bullying in there. Everybody's awful. Oh yeah, definitely bullying. Totally forgot about that. Even though I said it already. I anyway, yeah. I don't have a very good, like, concrete story for my personal experience with this book or anything. Um I don't remember what age I was when I started reading these, although I definitely have this kind of like mental image of where they were on the bookshelf in like sixth grade library so i feel like it was probably around then um i know so i know i didn't own them and i think the fact that i was taking them out of the library is why i didn't read them in order because i know that this and don't go in the basement which i believe is like book four maybe uh are the ones that i read first and the most um I did at that point very quickly move on to Fear Street because I, you know, I was already, you know, 10 or so and and ready to, to move on to Stephen King. 
saying. But I did have a brief segue into Fear Street, um, which is R.L. Stein's series for slightly older children than the Goosebumps series is intended for. I, in terms of, you know, additional, like, personal connection to this, I do very vividly remember seeing advertisements for the show after I was already, you know, deeply invested in these kids' horror books and being super excited about this show's premiere. And it's it's one of my first memories of, like, anticipating media in terms of, like, paying attention to previews and being, like, jazzed that something was coming up, that I had an awareness that something was coming up. My, uh... I think the first piece of media, actually, that I remember, like seeing the beginning couple seconds of the production company of the preview would have me like gripping my seats and and waiting for this preview that I had already seen like 15 times before and that preview was of course for the uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie cinematic classic cinematic masterpiece amazing soundtrack T U R T L E power anyway goosebumps what do you think it was cute. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about where I was. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it doesn't really frighten me as an adult or anything uh, or, or have deep themes that I find revelatory or tell me something about the human condition. But, you know, that was cute. I mean, it, it could tell... So, I mean... <laughs> I feel like it could tell you a little about the human condition. Nothing that we don't already know. As jaded 30-somethings, yeah. as we've already mentioned in our intro. That, uh... You know, this this girl was being bullied. And all she wants in the world is to be able to bully back her bullies. <laughs> yeah. That's that's fair. That is that is definitely a potential read that you know valid. I also there was a moment near-ish the end, I guess, when uh, Carly Beth is running back to the store because she's realized that the mask has like fused with her, and some rando character says. What are you supposed to be? And I'm I was like, what are any of us supposed to be? <laughs> like is this is this book about like the expectations placed upon us by society? The masks we all have to wear and all the nights that aren't Halloween? Or is it just a book about a girl whose mask is haunted? It's actually not even that technically it seems but you know (laughs) yeah the actual like haunting of this mask is some very flimsy quickly exposited pseudoscience it's not haunted per se yeah the the spirit halloween proprietor slash casual geneticist or something made creatures creations something it wasn't clear 
that started off wonderful, but then they were unloved, and then they became horrible looking. And that's why they want to take over people by being creepy masks. Also, they can fly. Yeah. The resolution, it was, I would say the book was honestly, you know, five sixths the way interestingly creepy. And then suddenly Carly Beth was being chased by floating rubber masks. And it was just suddenly goofy as hell. I just I set the book down and I just kind of like wrote a note like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I had... we get to this point? I had a lot of questions. I, I will say this. The climax of the book didn't go the way I expected. That's a thing that is true. Um, so, right, like most of the book is a pretty standard, you know, girl gets picked on for being easy to scare. Girl wants to not be easy to scare slash to be scary enough to scare the people who bully her but and are theoretically also her friends. Everybody is awful, basically, at Carly Beth's school. Um, and... Uh, and, you know, then, then this mask kind of, like, has this effect on her um, where it makes her more aggressive uh, and eventually sort of fuses with her body and she can't take it off and everything. And, and all of that feels pretty, pretty reasonable as far as, like, where this story would go. And I expected the title would be a little more true than it is and that we would discover that it's because the mask is haunted like by a ghost or or possessed by a demon or something like that i I would have been like yep that checks out you don't really need to give me more but what the book gives us instead is that when she gets back to the uh like party store where she got the mask the guy who runs the store is like i am a scientist and I created these, <laughs> and they it it sounded to me like they used to be heads instead of masks, but he had to make the masks because they were yeah. mean and yep. and then yeah, as you said then then the masks the other the other masks that were in the same room as the titular haunted one uh fly off of their mountings and chase carly beth through the neighborhood Uh, and i don't i have questions i want to know why did this scientist do this i want to know why did arlstein make it a scientist instead of a mask that was haunted uh I I want to know how, like, why... So he calls them the unloved, um, capital U, which, not a bad name for a set of cursed artifacts slash entities. Uh, and, And he assures Carly Beth that the mask can only be removed once and only by uh, an object that's like the power of love or something like that. Which, okay, but again, um, 
what science did he do to learn this? I, I, am, I am so baffled by the science part. Everything else would make total sense to me if it had just been like, like, uh, what's that guy? Sardo. Sardo? No, Mr. Uh, emphasis on the dough. Yeah. From uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? He was the the slightly recurring guy who owned like a magic shop. And, and he showed up in various episodes that were otherwise not directly connected, but pretty much always it was because some significant part of the story was some item from his shop that was cursed or whatever, right? And he just kind of, as I recall, was like a bit careless with those things. Um, and I And it was just always fine because it was like, yeah, this guy is a weirdo uh, magician type who has this shop full of weird curios that he's probably found places and maybe doesn't fully understand the power that they might hold or whatever. That kind of, I would have just been like, yeah, that checks out. This is fine. And that's not the way R.L. Stein went, but maybe that's why he, you know, was the king of juvenile horror. Because he has the vision to, uh... <laughs> well, I couldn't remember where it was going either. Uh, other than that, I I had a vague recollection of this girl gets stuck in the mask forever. Which, incidentally, is also not what happens. Uh, somebody else gets stuck in the mask forever. It's actually got a very, like, thinner-esque ending where inadvertently she saves herself but then somebody else gets trapped in the mask i don't know if you've ever read thinner but this is another stephen king thing no i was gonna say that i don't think i've ever heard anybody admit to having read thinner i thought thinner was fine obviously another trademark stephen king uses some you know ethnic group and their spirituality as a a place to plumb for horror elements because it's a it's a romani curse that is the catalyst for the whole thing he's gotta stop doing that anyway arlstein didn't do that at the moment where carly Wynn gets her gets her revenge on the two guys steve and chuck or something like that or chuck and greg or generic two two generic boy names she gets her revenge on them and they get scared. And there's a moment where she sees the uh, the plaster of Paris and take a note on the material this mask is currently theoretically made out of. There's a plaster of Paris bust of her own head that her artsy mother had made that she stole from her mom to use as part of her costume as if she was a monster that decapitated Carly. She thinks that she sees that head start to move on its own and ask for help. So as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, cool. It's going to end up where she's stuck as this mask monster for the rest of her life. And actual Carly is trapped in this plaster of Paris head for the rest of forever. And I feel like that would have been like a cool spooky thing to have happened. 
But after Plaster of Paris had moved, it never moved again. That went away. I did think that was like probably the most legitimately chilling part of the book. Yeah, I agree. Or the closest to legitimately is chilling, right? Like, you know, that that, that could have gone... Because it's not just her that sees it, right? Like, yeah, they, the they boys see it too. are implied to see it as well. And I said to take note of the material of this mask because the way that she's able to finally get the, the spooky haunted mask off is she pulls the plaster of Paris mask on over her actual head. Which doesn't yeah, I had... seem possible. I mean, none of this is... I guess it's a little silly to pick apart like physics and material elasticity in a magical horror book, but that part just really <laughs> weirded me out. Well, Rin, this is not magical horror. This is science horror. A scientist There is it. magic because there is the magic of love. Yeah, I guess so. Take that. I guess you're right. I am right. You know, you know who else I would have been okay with uh, instead of a scientist is the happy mask salesman <laughs> from from Zelda games. Granted, he didn't appear in a Zelda game until probably what year was this from? This was 1993. That guy didn't appear in a Zelda game until five years after this book was published, but I would have preemptively accepted it. <laughs> But this mask salesman, incidentally, was not happy. No, he was kind of like a sad old guy. I I want to know the 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 career trajectory here. Of I'm a scientist. I create spooky masks on accident because I'm trying to create creatures. And instead of like locking the spooky masks up forever, he opens up a Halloween mask store. Yeah, and keeps them in the back room, which, granted, is marked employees only, but is otherwise not secured, apparently. And he implies that Carly Beth is not the first person who has wandered into that room. And I assume she's probably not the last, because there are two sequels to this. Yeah, and, and like, also... He just kind of like lets her, she talks him into selling her the mask, right? Like initially she like goes back there when he's distracted and then he, he comes and finds her and is like, these aren't for sale. And she's like, please, I want that one because it's scarier. And he's like, they aren't for sale. And she's like, please. And he's like, okay, 30 bucks. <laughs> and she's like, excuse me. I could stay in the Met for a week for that. But accepts this deal anyway and then and then he just hangs around like after closing because he expected to see her again i'm like why did you let her go in the first place like because he didn't seem to be like the sort of trickster character that you sometimes see who allows someone to go off with a uh an item of some frightful power thinking it will solve their problems but like 
the trickster character knows that they will actually discover it's like a monkey's paw situation and there will be consequences and they're like waiting for the person to come back having learned a lesson he doesn't really have that vibe no he just he sort of just like resigned yeah yeah he's just like i guess i'll just let this girl do do the thing and i'll expect to see her again in a few hours and i'll just wait Instead of just tell her no. I mean, I wouldn't have felt too bad for him if if he was the sort of like, yeah, take the mask, you little brat. Because he was trying to close his store. She strong arms her way in. She's like, no, I, the customer is always right. I am going to buy a mask. And he's like, no, little girl, I'm trying to close my store. And she's like, nope, I'm the protagonist. <laughs> Let me buy some stuff. And, you know, I... And then she kind of comes back, you know, after he's, like, in his PJs, banging on the window. Yeah. And, like, he lets her in and everything to tell her about having made all of the masks and stuff. And to tell her how to remove the mask, maybe, but it sounds like he doesn't think there's any chance she'll be able to manage it. That's why I say, like, there's this element of magic to it, because... She's like, explain to me what this act of love is that can remove the mask. And he's like, I cannot tell you anymore. It's like, has has he been magically cursed to not be able to reveal the secret of the mask? Like, what is the science? There's no scientific thing that would prevent you from telling somebody something. This is definitely like science magic. I mean, is is it a Five Nights at Freddy situation? Is that what we're dealing with? I don't know what Five Nights at Freddy is. Okay, I can't I can't summarize. You just got like real silent there. Is this like a big deal? You have to understand what the internet has been for the last decade. I don't internet well. Five Nights at Freddy's is you you probably have seen things based on Five Nights at Freddy's even if you don't realize that's what they are. It is the like eight or nine games deep at this point series of uh video games about haunted animatronics. I've missed this completely. Anyway, the the one of one of the big things is that it's a series that mostly doesn't tell you its story. It hides its story around in things like uh, HTML code and stuff. Um, and so, I think the entirety of YouTube basically is built upon people making Five Nights at Freddy's lore videos. And um, anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, it 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 has at this point become this thing where like this character learned that you could fuse metal and souls and so that's why the animatronics are haunted because he starts doing science experiments with soul metal it's it's kind of off the rails anyway Hmm. yeah well yeah so so reading it again not having firm memories of how it resolves was interesting because it just you know it didn't go where i thought it was going to and you know we're we're 20 plus and who knows how much media between me reading this then and now and you know i i have a lot of 
I make a lot of assumptions now based on other things I've seen. Like, oh, yes, this is going to go that route or this is going to use that trope. And it didn't. It surprised me, which was interesting. I'm pretty interested in going back and reading the other one that I have strong memories of. And I also am kind of just like morbidly curious to see how the episode of this in the TV show is. I'm trying to remember if I think it might be one of the better regarded episodes as a two-parter. I know. I've done all the research on this. But I'm not going to segue to that yet because I want to talk about... I mean, I am pretty sure I know the answer to this because one of the reasons we we did this one is because I knew damn well you hadn't read this one because you didn't do horror as a kid. So what do you think, you know, eight to nine-year-old Brandon would have thought of this book? <laughs> uh, I think I would have been like, wait, that's it? Because I was definitely the right age, theoretically, when the, when the Goosebumps craze hit to be like steeped in it, and I wasn't. Yeah, we were we were we were right there. Like this was for us. A lot a lot of kids that I knew read a ton of them, and and for that reason they were kind of inescapable in that regard. But I just as I've as I've mentioned, I'll say it again in case this is your first episode. I I just didn't do horror as a kid. I had this like very specific perception of horror as a thing that was just like really freaky and gave me nightmares to think about. And also, frankly, uh, and I think this is a a, a positive now, but at the time I was like, why did they do this? Um, I, I, I did find the art style of the covers to be very creepy in a weird way. The covers are fantastic. They are, yeah, they are. At the time I did not appreciate that they were fantastic at being creepy on purpose. I was just like looking at this cover and imagining what might be in the book based upon the cover kind of freaks me out. So I'm just not going to risk it. For that reason I think that had I read this book anyway, I don't think <laughs> I don't think things would have scared me really in this one. I do think that I would have been a bit underwhelmed also in that one of the main ways that I did eventually get into horror media at all was certainly partially through like shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark? But also when I kind of discovered other kinds of horror, I think when I was really young, I feel like most of the things that I was aware of that were horror and I did not consume these things. I just knew they existed because they were somewhat culturally inescapable. And also just I had friends who whose parents let them watch R-rated movies and stuff. But I was mostly familiar with horror meaning slasher flicks, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I was I was growing up when when a lot of horror was you know, mini Halloween's deep or Friday the 13th deep or whatever else. And so it was all like slasher movies and monster movies that 
were, you know, more the slasher style monsters, not like the Godzilla style monsters. And so in my head, I had like horror is all of these things. Horror is a thing wandering around murdering people, you know. And even though I'd never seen any of them, I was like, well, I know that the murderer keeps coming back. That's the point. So clearly, like, I don't know, the murderer is the hero or like the, the good guys always lose or, or, or whatever. I, I I filled in a lot of blanks in my head, sometimes kind of accurately, sometimes like totally, totally just like imagining it being way worse. So I started to like horror when I started to discover things that come at horror in a way that makes it more of a mystery, um, which I know will shock Anyone? I was just about to say, I'm shocked. So the first horror stuff that I started to like and got into was the stuff that was like more paranormal sometimes or or where, where a part of the plot is like learning what's going on and perhaps why it's going on that way. Whether that is a, a a horror thing that is mundane but set up to be sort of a tense thriller kind of kind of thing, or whether it's like a movie where it's like, here's a ghost. Why is the ghost haunting this place? Like, what's the ghost's unfinished business, right? Yeah. Or or how does this mysterious creature who is dangerous or doing a thing work, or or, or whatever the case may be, right? Well, I definitely think that the Goosebumps series would. Honestly, knowing that, if someone had actually taken the time to ask you at that age why you don't like horror, they probably would have been like, okay, we'll try these out anyway. Yeah. And I think that you probably might have enjoyed a bunch of them because for the most part, it is kind of like that, like a mystery as to like why this weird crap is happening. And and in the Goosebumps book specifically, R.L. Stein was pretty adamant about like the kids don't die in the film yeah. series so it's not slashers it's weird stuff over the years i've certainly retroactively become interested in goosebumps as a thing because i'm just kind of i'm the kind of person who is very interested in kind of deep diving into these pop culture fixtures and and why they stick with people and stuff, even if they aren't things that I personally loved at the time. Um, and, and so I do know, like, in retrospect, there's probably Goosebumps books I would have really uh, enjoyed if I had just kind of gotten over the hump of being, like, afraid of being scared, I guess. Um, I think this one I would have been underwhelmed by because of the lack of mystery sort of or or the fact that the mystery feels so weird in that what i wanted was an exploration of why the mask is this way not necessarily that i would want an answer right but like again if the if the title had been more literal the haunted mask it would be like okay who's it haunted by why is it haunted or or something like that right like let's ambiguity is fine but like let's ask that question or, or or that question being in some way important to solving the problem. And instead it's just kind of like the mystery is a scientist did it. 
<laughs> and it doesn't really make sense. And it's not a thing that's built to, right? Like it's not something that Carly Beth uh, unravels over the course of the book. Just once everything has gone bad, she, she goes and gets an exposition dump uh, from from the scientist slash store owner. Um, and so I think this one in particular, I would have been like kind of disappointed in, but yeah, you are correct that there are other Goosebumps books that I'm sure I would have actually enjoyed reasonably well had I given them a shot at that age. Well, in his defense, these books are not really meant to be consumed by people that actually have a ton of like critical reading skills yet. <laughs> yeah, totally. And also, at current count, in Robert Lawrence Stein's lifetime, he's written over 530 books. Yeah, he's written a lot of things. So many. So sometimes, you know... You get a cool idea, and his idea that he had for this book was uh, his son put on a Frankenstein mask at Halloween, and he had trouble getting it off at the end of the night. Boom, an idea was born. Yeah, a- Actually, that um, that makes sense to me, because that's the part of the book that I did find most potentially, like... Um, I know I mentioned the the talking head was chilling. This is not chilling so much, but uh, I guess anxiety inducing, or or maybe mm, yeah, or maybe like connected to a a real discomfort. Um, something yeah. that I don't really know why I have it, but I think it's developed as I've gotten older. Is did you also get a plastic pumpkin stuck on your head? <sighs> did I? <laughs> As I've gotten older, I, I have found that something that I dream about a lot, or, or, or have nightmares about a lot, rather, is like claustrophobic situations. Mm. I don't identify as having claustrophobia. I, I, I'm not like, when I'm awake and in the world, bothered by tight spaces or wearing a helmet, for example, even if it's like a full head thing or wearing a mask beyond the discomfort um but i have a lot of nightmares where like the crux of the nightmare is getting trapped in some small space or or like having my movement otherwise really restricted or whatever and those are just nightmares that are often very kind of indistinct but very uh anxiety inducing nightmares for me and i don't know why i have those they're not as far as i can tell uh connected to any like trauma that i have suffered or event in my life um but the descriptions of of the mask not coming off and stuff like really put me in mind of those kinds of nightmares so i could kind of feel that anxiety uh in those moments and i thought that was probably the most effective part of the book in terms of like tapping into a sort of real dread so in terms of background information probably the most surprising thing that i uncovered 
was that R.L. Stein is not a fake name. Yeah, everybody assumes it's a fake name. I also assumed it was a fake name at some point in the past. I assumed it was some play on Frankenstein. Like, But no, his last name is Stein. So, you know, th- this guy was preordained to be a horror writer. Although, interestingly enough, he actually started out... Uh, well, let me, let me go back to the beginning. Okay, He grew up in Ohio. He majored in English, and then he made the move to New York City to be a professional writer. Pretty straight trajectory there. However, he started off writing humor books for kids under the pen name... This one had a pen name. Jovial Bob Stein. And he was also the co-creator and head writer for the Nickelodeon children's series Eureka's Castle. Oh my god. I love Eureka's Castle. Well, there you go. It was one of my favorite shows. There you go. Jovial Bob. He... The the, dra- <laughs> the dragon puppet is coming from inside the house. <laughs> so he did comedy stuff for about 20 years, and then he started dabbling in horror in the late 80s. Uh, his first horror series for kids was actually Fear Street, but that was aimed for more like junior high, high school. Um, and then he aimed for younger kids with goosebumps. And then it became, you know, the widely popular, best-selling, award-winning child horror empire that it is still to this day. Uh, the the mainline Goosebumps book series has 62 at current count books, but with uh, 10 million spinoffs and one-shots and things like that, uh, the, the mainline... Uh, book series started in 1992 uh this book in particular you know even though they are it was like you know you know a serial book that had like different stories in each one this book does have two sequels the haunted mask 2 uh that was written in that was released in 1995 and then in 2008 there was the scream of the haunted mask i haven't read either of these i don't know if i will maybe i'll give it a go we'll see um, as I mentioned earlier, this was incredibly popular, popular enough that they made a TV show out of it. And, uh, The Haunted Mask was actually the premiere episode of the TV show. And it's highest rated. Uh, so you were right about that. The, uh, the Goosebumps intro theme music still lives, as they say, rent-free in my head. I will link that because it's it's real good. And um, I just found out today when I was talking about doing this uh, with a friend. And they said, oh, yeah, they're rebooting that TV show. And, yeah, they're rebooting that TV show. They're filming it right now. This This moment right now is where I'm going to suggest that if you are interested in a deeper i think hour and a half long dive into the history of the goosebumps empire the tale of legal disputes ghost writing publisher fuckery and way more uh go listen to episode 87 of secret histories of nerd mysteries it is a delightful podcast hosted by very fun folks and i was laughing my face off 
for ooh large chunks of it because the host host Brenda does a slappy impression that I I will never get over. Uh, Topical but... laughing your face off. Oh, oh dear. Yep. And Carly should have gone and listened to this episode. Maybe it would have helped. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's just so much more to the Goosebumps saga in the background than I can get into in this, like, little chunk of here's some background information for this book. And it, it's very interesting. And, 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 you know, other than that, I I did uncover, before I even read this book, and I, I, had, pl- I had put this on a note in my phone, this article that I saw, because I knew that I was going to do Goosebumps eventually. And so I I went back to it. And there's this, this horrible article. R.L. Stein was not told about woke edits to his book. And the article paints the whole situation as R.L. Stein being really angry. With a lot of scare quotes around the word woke. That the publisher has started releasing in this year versions of goosebumps uh that have censorship and horrible woke edits i had to do a lot of deep diving and really like analyzing the wording of these articles and finding other articles to uncover that actually rl stein never even used the word woke he in terms of the whole situation which is is quite tame the uh, scholastic started releasing uh, releasing versions of the book where they just like take out some casual ableism and that sort of thing seems fine to me but you know the kind of people that get really mad about this on social media somebody with like i guess a large following made this like attack post about how R.L. Stein has has agreed to censor all of his books and blah, blah, blah. And Stein responded with, the story is false. I have never personally changed a word in a Goosebumps book. And then he explained that the publishers didn't actually show him the changes. It just happened. And that's all he said. He didn't make any value statements about whether or not, like, it was a woke thing. Because I was initially, like, pretty peeved at him for you know being a white guy using the whole woke thing in scare quotes because you know that always just means yeah it's kind of a dog whistle yeah exactly but it doesn't look like he actually had any objections to that he just didn't know that the changes were going to be made whatever yeah which is not like a weird thing for this situation because you know i i Obviously, I don't know the details of whatever contract he has or has had with the publisher in the past, but a publisher gets to do the things. That's how publishing generally works. There's there's so much about the publishing. (laughs) Go listen to Secret Histories. Yeah, I even went so far as to go to his Twitter and do a search to see if he'd ever even used the word woke. And of course he had, because, you know, people write things like, I woke up yesterday and did this. But, uh, yeah, 
He didn't. So a lot of crappy newspapers decided to attribute him to saying like, oh, I don't agree with these woke edits, but he never actually said those words at all. So my scaring myself into thinking that I was probably going to be writing about somebody horribly problematic ended up being okay. I, I've done, I do a couple of cursory Google searches whenever I'm getting ready to do an episode and I type in, you know, author name, problematic question mark. So that I can kind of like figure out what kind of stuff we're going to have to touch on because I don't think it's super responsible to like put these books out there as our content if we don't also acknowledge that problematic stuff has happened. But as far as I could see, Stein is, you know, made some, you know, kind of silly missteps with these books in the 90s with a lot of casual ableism. I went out of my way to make sure that I got versions of the book with the older uh, uh, Tim Jacobus cover. And Tim yeah. Jacobus was the artist that did all of the original sort of main mainline art. And he just does this very sort of like 90s fluorescent airbrushy but scary art and it's just it's just so good yeah um but i think that the not as good covers are the edited ones there's also a lot of interesting stuff about the art and the art license and stuff in that episode of secret histories which i will stop pitching now but yeah it's 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 good stuff all right are you ready for a discussion question? Yep. <laughs> that does not sound particularly ready. I want I want some more enthusiasm. Are you ready for a discussion question? Uh, I'm ready. Still not particularly enthusiastic. What kind of content creator are you? Um. <laughs> ready. So, if someone wanted to scare you very badly when you were 11... What would have been the quickest way? That's actually a good question. I'm not really sure. I don't think I was uncomfortable with spiders yet. But maybe, maybe I would have got, maybe I was getting there. I think certainly something, um, something dropping on or near me is a good one if it's like dark something drops <laughs> maybe with a noise not like a dropping noise that's fine but like i think for me a lot of horror is auditory so some like excellent sound design could be a good way to scare me when i'm 11 frankly it would potentially scare me now so get out <laughs> your uh you know, mixer and other sound equipment and do some stuff. I do think I was probably still a bit uncomfortable with heights at that age. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mine is definitely tell me to go walk into tall grass that has grasshoppers in it. When I was when when I was that age, I had just like a massive fear of grasshoppers landing on me. Why? I don't know. 
Were you also Were you also afraid of other insects landing on you? Nope. Or was it like exclusively grasshoppers? Exclusively grasshoppers. Interesting. Interesting. Psychoanalyze that. I, I don't know. Anyway. In my Dog Ate My Book report, we go back and we analyze the books that we read in terms of how many giant peaches we would give it out of, you know, five giant peaches. So, what do you think, Brandon? Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say this book is like... My instinct is two and a half, but... I'll give it an extra half peach to bring it up to three. Because Science Man does have a Spock mask. Mm. <laughs> and it's not his fault that Carly didn't have taste. Granted, Spock is not scary, so I understand it didn't fit the rubric she was working from. But I appreciate the inclusion. <laughs> I I was also going to give it a three just because I wanted to kind of smack it right there in the middle call it a day yeah i definitely like i said i think there are probably goosebumps books that i could find and really enjoy even now but certainly when i was at a at a closer to um target age this one just felt like it it kind of like fumbled the climax enough that it was you know it was kind of just a fine for me i I don't i don't have strong feelings about it either way yeah, uh, it does make me curious a little bit if some of those sequel books get into the lore at, at, of of the thing at all. Like I, I always, I do think I was always like sort of curious about the serialized nature of the Goosebumps books that did start to have numbers on them. Like like not obviously they all had numbers, but like you know Haunted Mask Two. Right. Like, I do remember starting knowing a few of those. Slappy 14, the Slappy Reckoning. Yeah, yeah. Night of the Living Dummy had a lot. Well, like, I remember that that the the standard series, the ones that would get sequels, they didn't have extra subtitles. They just hadn't had, you know, they were just Night of the Living Dummy 2, Night of the Living Dummy 3, etc. And there was that part of me that was kind of curious about, like, a story unfolding over things that got me thinking, oh, like how, what, what's that monster blood up to this time? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ha- having no real context for what it was up to the first time. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's been a me episode. Next, next episode, number 18. Yeah, we'll be uh, I'll be handing the reins back over to Brandon. What do we have on the docket? Uh oh no, you only wrote Nancy Drew. Um crap. The That's cuz I figured you would you would remember what your selection was like a responsible I host. I I looked through I looked through a list of so many Nancy Drew books now that like my my brain is mostly like if you took 
if you did like one of those one of those memes where it was like figure out what your Nancy Drew novel would be titled, like if if you were born in January, it's a secret. If you're born in February, it's legend. And if you're born in March and so on. And, you know, if you're born on the 15th of the month, it's of the rainbow. I don't think rainbow. That's not a good example. Of the diamond. I feel like there needs to be an adjective in front of the, the diamond. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's, that's probably your, like, um, favorite color or something. I'm not mm. sure secret of the orange diamond yeah what's what's up with the orange diamond? that's absolutely an nancy drew book i but i would i would buy that back when we read the hardy boys um book i mentioned that i eventually graduated to its sister series nancy drew because it's better and so the time has come it's time to venture into nancy drew and read nancy drew number one secret of the old clock my save yes thank you (laughs) well thank you all so much for joining us and listening to our yammering on about our childhoods etc yeah my dog ate my book report is hosted and produced by ren and brandon that is us uh the music used in this podcast was licensed by epidemic sound transcripts were generated by otter.ai And our icon image was illustrated by Cindy Lau. Have a question or comment for the team? Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on our website, which links to all of our socials at dogatemybookreport.blueberry.net or by emailing at dogatemybookreport at gmail. We would be super excited to know what books you loved growing up. And if you read this one and, you know... If you have a Nancy Drew book title birthday quiz name result, yeah, that we just made up, or and um, are you, mystery are you... of the yellow lagoon? Yeah, that's another one. You got it. <laughs> that just sounds like that just sounds gross. Yeah, actually, I think I know what the mystery of the yellow lagoon is. <laughs> It's full of gold, obviously. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. <laughs> maybe maybe it's lemonade. The secret is that it's lemonade. Mm-hmm. It's full of lemonade. <laughs> but why? <laughs> Goodbye.